0: Welcome back to the Value Adds Value podcast with Kyle Krieger and Wilkie Long, where we're sharing inspiring stories of educators just like yourself, helping you to develop your craft and sharpen your tools to become the teacher your students deserve. This is the Value Adds Value podcast. Let's jump into this next episode.
1: Good afternoon, good evening, fam, whatever uh, time of day it is, wherever you are. Welcome back to Value Adds Value. Uh, Kyle here. Just want to thank you for tuning in to episode 299. That seems crazy to me. That next our next episode uh, coming out on Friday is going to be episode 300, and we're uh, we're excited to share it with you. We're excited after that to push in a new direction, um, get back to the mission that we started Lighthouse with, and and just do those things. But Again, we wanted to share this third part uh, with Jen Amira with you, uh, a conversation that we've been so fortunate to have and a perspective that we really um, value and we've looked uh, leaned into and will continue to over the course of the next years. So uh, please enjoy this conversation again talking about what will teacher prep look like past 2021 and in the future. So if you don't, please follow Jen Amira. At Teaching is Intellectual. Their website is teachingisintellectual.com and just really get to know the work they're doing and the things they're doing. Um, they're doing incredible things. So uh, you can follow us at Value Adds Value. Find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at its Kyle Krieger, at its.will.law.iii. Find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Value Adds Value, whatever you're looking for. And please let us know um, how we can support you. Enjoy this episode.
0: So what do you think is going to come up out of the students that you're going to be getting here over the next couple of years after this pandemic?
1: <laughs> what is yeah, what is it what do you think it's going to look like? I mean, well, I I'm,
2: I'm worried because I feel like so with my my group, my first group, they're not first years but they're either sophomores or juniors. By now I have developed such a strong relationship with them. And I'm going to have them again in the spring. And I'm worried because I don't know how I'm going to go from blank screens to more blank screens to then the relationships that I have with my graduate students and my seniors, right? Um, so I'm worried. Like, I'm really, like, trying to figure out how can, how can I get them to trust me? How can I build these relationships when I I know that here we go again, right? This is not there. I mean, I know that we are hoping there's an end in sight. I think there's a lot of... <laughs> Hope with 2021 coming, you know, but, and I don't want to sound super negative, but I, I just don't have as much of that like positive hope that the spring's going to be totally different because I just don't I, know
3: what it is. <laughs> I also think like that as we think about going forward to the students who aren't in college yet, yeah. um, the students we're recruiting, I there, are, Mira and I talk a lot about how our doctoral preparation did not prepare us for the work that we do. Um, and I will say that one of the things that I did not know was a part of my job would be recruitment and retention. Obviously, retention is important to me because I'm invested in my students, as is Mira. Um, but recruitment and retention, we work in a business. And we thought we were educators and that the students would show up, but the but they don't unless Unless we invite them, so connecting with faculty and having a relationship with faculty is actually really important for college recruitment. And so we both do a lot of high school events. We talk to high schoolers right now. It's a lot of Zoom, but my university does something called Green Carpet Days, um, where students come in and they they with their parent or whatever, um, and they have a whole day that's dedicated toward recruiting them to come here, and they spend time with me as a part of that it's you know 20 minutes but I talked to them about you know what our program looks like but also like coming here living in Athens and being in our building and you know what their course sequence will look like but the university has changed their admissions policies because of uh, our reduction in in student numbers which is happening across higher ed um, nationally So now if they have 30 credits of AP or college credit plus, they, and a certain uh, GPA, then they're automatically admitted. So what we're seeing and what is going to continue to be a factor is that our what used to be my second semester sophomores is now freshmen. So this coming spring, my courses, I usually, the course, that I'm teaching are typically second semester sophomores. It's the very beginning of their education coursework. And now I have a whole cohort of freshmen in that group. That's going to continue to happen where instead of a four-year program, Mira just went from a five-year program to a four-year program. And that program is probably going to eventually be down to three, three and a half, right? So all of the compression that's happening, yes, because IDLS is going to end up being, Yes, I'm telling you, it's coming for you. <laughs> Don't say it. Do not say it. <laughs> so my four-year program is now for some three um, and three and a half for a lot of students. So we're we're also having, um, you know, I, I was telling Mira when we were talking earlier, like what are we racing toward? Because developmentally, And for our students, you know, IDEA, Part B of IDEA covers students from three years old to 21 years of age. And the students that I'm graduating are the same age as the students they may be teaching. Um, And developmentally, there's I have a lot of, you know, concerns about that. But I'm also reminded that we invest in students for the long haul, right? We have 15 weeks and all we can do in that time is prepare them to continue to learn. So when I write letters of recommendation like Mira was saying, or I talk to future employers, I always say that they're, they're ready to begin learning on the job. They're, we have prepared them to begin um, there is no teacher preparation, even in its best version, is not a career product, a teacher product, right? We We aren't creating teachers who are ready to go out and bust down doors. They're just ready to try to persist in the classroom environment. And Um, I think we have to be a lot more clear about that, that teaching is a developmental process just like everything else. We get better at it over time, but then things change. Mm -hmm. I mean, do I ever feel like I'm gonna be like, I can pull out last year's syllabus? It hasn't happened yet.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, I I like the question that you posed was, what are we racing towards? What is the rush? You know, and I think uh, it goes back to that—that that the, the the capitalist system we're in—it's about finances. Yeah. Um, everybody's trying to make them, and everybody's trying to save them, um, and you can't, it's very difficult to do both of those things at the exact same time. Um, and in in the in in the midst of all of that, I guess my big wonder is, are we putting out less prepared individuals into the workplace than we should. Uh, because as we said, a 21, 22 year old teacher, um, you go into a high school where you're teaching 17, 18, sometimes 19 year olds. There's, to me, that's just way too close. In my, in my view of you know, of where, you know, I was 18 years old as a senior in high school. If I had a teacher who was 21 years old, I, what? how is your life experience any different than mine that you're going to really get me, you, you know, and, and not saying that they are not 21 year year olds who are, who are not completely mature. You know, I love having conversations with my nephew who just turned 21, but it's me talking to a 21 year old.
3: Well, and I think about colleagues, right? So mm. that they're, they're also your colleague. And I think there are definitely thing issues to, that we can talk about in terms of peer relationships and student relationships and the power dynamic and all that. But I also really think a lot about how their colleagues view them Um when they are early career teachers because when when I was preparing teachers with Mira at JMU we our students were 22 23 because it was a five-year program they had the the master's in the art of teaching at the completion and dual license and they just had more time and they were you know we're still in communication with a lot of them and they were just more ready. I just feel, I know that's like a, a impression, but for me, they, they felt more ready in that period of development that year or two is a big deal. And, um, I think about how their colleagues perceive them, how we already perceive early career teachers or first year teachers. And then, you know, when they're, when they're so young, Um, And it's hard. I mean, it's hard for them. It's a very high stress job for that transition. I'm seeing, like I said, we have a one year master's program. And I'm seeing so many students who graduate early, who are joining our master's program, we went from like 30 some students in there to like 55, 58. I mean, it's, growing super quickly. And a lot of them are graduates from our undergrad prep program um, in in early childhood or in AYA. And then they're adding the special ed license because it gives them a year. And I think particularly in this moment, so back to Kyle's question, um, all of those things are happening with or without the pandemic, right? All of the things with compression and the this automatic admissions and all of that. But then we think about these students who are our juniors and seniors who have had these remote years or this like back and forth hybrid virtual um, and then what college will feel like for them I think is another big question mark that we're gonna have to contend with um, going forward. I think if this persists past spring We're going to be hurting significantly because I do not see this year's seniors signing up for college like this. Um, A lot of our I've talked to a lot of my students who are contemplating taking a gap semester, a gap year. Um, We're really reworking a lot of people's plans because it is very hard to learn like this. So I don't imagine that seniors are gonna wanna pay college tuition to uh, have this environment. So I'm hopeful that we can get back to some semblance of our work. Maybe it swings the other way though, right? Maybe this experience has created such a bad taste in folks mouths that we'll see a shift back to more traditional, um, I'm not a traditional person but more of that like embedded classroom time together and in the in the prep scene, and less of the, I'll just sign up for a module.
1: Well, and I I think about the conundrum that these kids who are graduating this spring and administrations who are trying to hire new teachers, like, so you're you're a brand new teacher trying to get your first job, but you have you you didn't student teach in a classroom and yep. you, and you're an administrator at, or a hiring team trying to evaluate a kid or sorry yeah a kid a, a a new incoming teacher that doesn't have the opportunity you know that doesn't have the opportunity to really look at someone and say like hey i definitely uh, i i feel like i want to ask more about the temperament and disposition, but I think that might have to wait for another episode because I feel like we (laughs) would really, I mean, it just, it's something that you notice like, and you can see temperament across the room. You can see a teacher who just has the right temperament and having the right temperament does not mean you're like laissez faire and you know, like you come from Hawaii with boar shorts on, it's just, you have the right temperament to fit who you are. Like the way I react to certain things is not the way that will reacts to certain things. But, and, and I remember the time where I was that teacher who escalated and will can attest to this. Like I didn't have emotional regulation and gosh, at 20 and to expect that at 21 years old, I, Which, I was 25 when I moved to Houston and I was still going out like a pretty regular amount of Thursday nights and then going to school on Friday. Yeah. Because I was like, oh, man, this is just kind of what I did. Like, Hey, all right.
3: Yeah. So. I think it's really hard. And, and we should honor that in our early career teachers and not vilify them for it. Um, you know, I think that's part of it too. Is like this expectation that they're grownups now and they're going to behave in certain ways. And and Mir and I have never subscribed to that. Although we are sort of outside the norm within our amongst our colleagues, um, but we I, we expect our students are going out. We expect that they're you know living complicated lives outside of our classrooms Mm -hmm. and we should expect that and not hang them up for it like it it is what it it is what it is and that is the part of the developmental trajectory um
1: and I was gonna ask to like right at the beginning about whether or not college kids are getting a bad rap during this time because you know you every everywhere in the country you can see college parties getting shut down and even though the kids are virtual like you said they're living four or five in a house and
3: well we- and it, to will's point i mean they always do they always get vilified no matter what it doesn't matter what the environment is it's always college students are the worst but to will's point you know they are they are here they're living in their apartments They. That seems to be better for the most part. Living at home is really complicated for them. Um, but when we bring them here, then we should expect them to behave as they do when they're here. i I mean they're they're gonna go out. They're gonna if the bars are open and the students are here then we have said as a, as a collective society and community that they can go to bars. So when people post pictures of the line outside, I mean, the town I live in y'all, I don't know if you've ever been here, but there are like 32 bars in three blocks um, in our little uptown area. Sounds
0: like Wisconsin. Sounds like San Marcos.
3: <laughs> and They're packed because they're open and the students are here and our small, I mean, our, those bars are owned by local business owners. Mm-hmm. You know, they're we can blame anybody we want, but we should be blaming the politicians that aren't paying them to stay closed. Mm-hmm. Um, not the students for drinking dollar draws.
0: I
2: feel like we spent a lot of fall kind of protecting our students and saying, "Well, wait a second, you know, like if that was me, I would be doing that too. Do you really expect students to go to college and not congregate in groups of more than 5 people? Do you really expect, right? I mean, somebody said to me, "Yeah, it's like sending them all into a candy shop, right? And telling them not to touch anything, right? Like I can't imagine sending my 2-year-old, 4-year-old and saying like, "Hey, hey, come come look at everything you have." stand down right like don't touch stand back
3: it's just not reasonable but and we haven't given them an alternative no right so you know that I'm not mad at them I'm not I I feel I feel stressed and sad about I worry about them I worry about them getting sick I worry about I mean you could, y'all I had students, Call into class from the hospital, yeah, me like, too. get off the phone, like Both what of mine have had it and... yeah, I mean they it has ravaged them, and I think about the impact of that going forward, you know, potentially we don't know a lot still about covid, but they're going to potentially have this. Some of them are already kind of experiencing long hauler symptoms. Are they going to um, have this pre-existing condition? Is that going to make it more difficult for them to be employed? I mean, there are all kinds of things that I think about for them. Um, this is an incredibly hard time, yeah. and I think it's. I know we could talk forever. It's this is like a sliver of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like the the complexity of all of this, and I understand why our local districts don't want our students in their classrooms, even if they're meeting. Um, if they're doing hybrid, I understand why they don't want our students there. And I tell my students every class, I'm like, you guys, the only way we get to get into the field is if we curb this, we have to flatten this curve. And that means you guys are going to have to do some hard things, except for it's not all on you, right? Like we, they have to work. Everybody's like, well, just do DoorDash. You know, who's delivering your DoorDash? My student. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are delivering the cookies. They're the ones who are delivering the smoothies. They're the ones who, I mean, they're the ones working at coffee shops. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, I met some friends for a walk and they had stopped at a speedway to get a soda or whatever. And one of my students was working at the gas station. Um, So, you know, that they're out there and they are, they're trying to navigate this too. And they don't have any money and they don't have any support and they're not going to get the $600 either. So,
1: does it go to most of them? It goes to their parents. Because
3: mm-hmm. they're college students, so they're not probably filing their own taxes. Mm-hmm. Their parents are probably claiming them. It's not always that way. I mean, obviously, there's this idea that college students that go to traditional universities like mine and Mira's are, um, you know, middle class middle-income white kids, uh, they're not, There are many of them, many, many, many of them are in complex situations, but um, they'll, they'll not be likely to be the recipients. Hmm.
0: What
1: well, do you think, Will? Any questions you wanna finish up with?
0: No, I, I was going over and looking at the questions list and um, yeah, we did it again.
1: um... Uh, I feel like we touched on a lot of the points there but I just it's it's something like I said and and I can kind of trace back to the first conversation that we had with y'all as to where I started to like try to see the bigger picture because we've always said like that new teacher space is where we feel like we can offer the most help it's like could we develop a program that helps new teachers stay in the field and i just love what you said about and and i'm gonna steal it and i'm gonna make it a professional development but you said we're preparing the teachers for otj like i want to create a new teacher program called on the job training
3: um well we'll partner with you in that
1: yeah because it's just it's really like if if you because i had that mentality i had that mentality of I graduated. I got this certificate. I'm ready to rock and roll. And then, I, and then I get to, I mean, I can attest to the fact my first year subbing, like I got into a second grade classroom and I got eaten alive mm-hmm. so bad that I told the principal I couldn't come back the next day when they wanted me for a three-day spell. And the principal said, I respect you for, for being honest that you can't do this. And then small town kid, I wanted a job, so I moved to Houston. I was totally unprepared. Totally unprepared because all of my all of my field experience had been small town rural rural white schools.
0: Yeah,
2: yep. I'm constantly reminding my students that it's called an initial teaching license for a reason.
3: Hmm. I think it's too, almost like
0: a learner's permit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> you must have another adult in a vehicle with you at home. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: that's where we have to be better though right because we don't it's like a learner's permit but then we we just leave them right we're just like all right you give, a kid, you give a kid with a learner's
1: permit a ferrari yeah and you you wonder why yeah why they can't
3: keep it scratch free
1: right
3: uh, just yeah. i think too it's really there's a lot of debate in prep around you know this emphasis on skill development and time in the in the classroom being with students being with a mentor teacher and really just doing the act of teaching can we apprenticeship teaching is teaching a thing that you learn through doing and and is the apprenticeship model enough or do we also need to have some of the background, some theory, some understanding of psychology, some understanding of um, school structure and how, it, how we got here about the way that kids behave, about the way that kids learned? We need some cognitive science in our prep. Like All of those things are, are debatable, right? So when we were talking about alternative prep, that's also where the rub is is that oftentimes in the alternative model, like the Teach for America model is very much an apprenticeship model um, where you learn by being in a classroom and doing the job. I tend to approach it more on the side of teaching my students how to think about teaching and learning and applying that to context in the field. So there's also not consensus really about how you prepare teachers. So hopefully we can talk another time about the, this the intangible thing about disposition that fascinates Mira and I, but isn't something that we know how to measure uh, or how to identify. But also this factor of like, how do we, what is the investment side, right? If I just took a high school um, graduate and put them in partnership with the two of you and said spend a year with Kyle and spend a year with Will and then let's meet up next summer and spend a week together talking about your experience and like filling in some gaps could that be teacher prep I think it
0: uh, I I think mm.
1: it I I I mm. love I love the concept and I I, I don't mm. know if we were talking with you you all about this or something else, but I was like, why don't we have more field experience right at the start of when teachers are in the program? So you could actually see, like, is this actually something I want to do before I dedicate three years of my life to it?
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So we do, but it definitely depends on your program. Yeah. Um, Mira's program and my program, they're in the field starting second semester. So um whatever that means in their sequence and whenever they show up but they they we they we have a ton of field hours 1500 plus
1: Whoa, that's but weird they're not
2: required like that's not standard i know in my teacher prep program i had i think one practicum before student teaching
1: like one i one and a
2: half practicums before i had student
1: one teaching. i had one practicum in student teaching but yeah oh my god i want to i want to find a grant so bad i want to find a grant so bad that i could pay a kid to spend a year with me and document and learn and see whether that would be whether OTJ right out of high school is enough to
0: Well, you know, I'm going to say no. I don't believe it would be. Um, I believe it could be beneficial to making the decision but I do believe that the theoretical, that that side of, um, like you say, the practical, like understanding the the craft of teaching. You know, I was fortunate, even though I was all cert, to have an amazing mentor. And my mentor, I mean, I plus I was an inclusion teacher, so which gave me kind of that that special sweet spot to where. I didn't have to focus so much on direct instruction. I could kind of be the Robin to Batman, you know? And so I learned so much in that position, working with my mentor teacher and with other seasoned veterans. And again, like a sponge, I kind of soaked, soaked up and absorbed all of the information. Yeah. But again, that's me at what? Um, 30, 30 plus years old, yeah, 30. 33 years old. And so for me, it was almost a situation where it was like, okay, I know this is what I want to do. I spent a year subbing and being a paraprofessional. So going into the classroom, it's like, yep, this is where I want to be. I'm dedicated to it. So I had to spend a lot of time learning the theories because I wasn't taught, but I was a psychology and a sociology major. So I believe those two kind of prepared me for people And then all I had to learn was the pedagogy.
3: Yeah. So you're making an argument that if we, if you have a degree and then spend a year with you or spend a year with Kyle. So there's that maturation thing that we were Mm -hmm. accounting for Mm -hmm. earlier. Um, And I think that's what a lot of alternative certification programs are rooted on. Right. And I don't, I don't know that we can, I think there are lots of different ways that we could approach it, but, We, the rub comes from the 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 lasting investment. So, however you get to that place, you only get better if there's an investment in you as human capital, right? And then continuing to be mentored, and that's an area that is just not going to get that investment. Um. So then, thinking about how do we build community outside of that? How do we do this on the job training? community building where mentorship is ongoing because I need mentors I have mentors and I benefit from that and I mentor other people but I'm not I don't anticipate I get to a place where I no longer need
0: mentorship it's that forever apprentice situation, you know, and, and, you know, I believe that I will forever be an apprentice. You know, my mentee is teaching me so much. So I told him, I say, I'm mentoring you, but you're also mentoring me because there are some things that you've learned. I mean, he's te- taught abroad. He went to teach in um, in Africa for a year after graduating. And so that experience he's bringing to our students and to me, and I'm listening to him talk and I'm like, man, you know, you sound like I'm talking to a six, seven year veteran teacher already because of those experiences. And so I don't think anyone is beyond mentorship. You know, I believe that in order to be successful in in any profession, you have to have good mentors around you, you know, multiple mentors. You know, I have a mentor for my personal life. I have a mentor for my wife, my family life. You know, I'm part of mentor groups for finances. Like it's, I think that the idea that, oh, once you're done, you know, I know like in our district, we're just now graduating to the point to where we're having a two-year mentor program. You know, normally our mentor program is one year, you know, um, which to and me, that year
3: goes so fast.
0: Oh my, I mean, <laughs> we can look at this year, you know, and I, my mentee and I talk about it all the time, how effective were we really, because everything moves so fast the first semester. And I told him, I'm here for you throughout the duration. So don't think that it ends when May comes. This is this is a continual relationship because you don't really get to know someone in three months. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. I mean, it took almost a year for me to get the strength up to to talk to Kyle when I was, you know, working side by side with him.
3: Yeah. I wish we gave more I wish we honored that complexity more. Um, rather than really thinking about mentorship as a one-year thing, why don't we think about it as like outcome-based or how about we get to decide when, who, uh, my mentor, when I moved into public school, I I was an inclusive pre-K teacher, was a fourth grade teacher, um, fourth grade gen ed teacher. And she just would come in my room and be like, I just don't understand these little people being in this building, you know, and how are you going to mentor me? Let me pick my own mentor. Like, she was great at showing me, like, where the paper reams were, and, you know, how to ask the custodian for support, and, like, she was great at school-based stuff.
1: All that stuff that could be on a checklist that was, like, here, here's a document of all the things you might need.
3: Yeah, Yeah, and I appreciated that, but I needed a mentor that I could, and, and the university in my area gave me that by providing me with, like pedagogical and content mentors but we have to select our mentors the literature is really clear about that we we have to have a say um in who mentors us and who we mentor because it is a personal relationship and that complexity has to be honored you know we can't just say like okay we have a one-year program roll it out it everything can't be structured like this like we work in messy business Mm
0: -hmm. Wow, I like that idea of selecting your mentors because I think that's something that's not given to new teachers. I mean, I was a mentor coordinator and I never gave my mentees the option to to, uh, select their mentor. I always kind of looked at personalities and said, okay, who could I pair this person with that I think would be best, most beneficial? But there's a power in saying, here are your choice of mentors, go sit, interview them, talk to them, Come back and let me know. Give me your top two people that you would want to be mentored. Mentored by that. I mean, that just gave me goosebumps right now thinking of the the impact that could have on a first year teacher. That's well, and, huge.
1: And thinking thinking back to what you said about finding finding your your group of people. I mean, just that. I mean, I I've told the story a hundred times on here. I had a mentor my first year that called me into his room once a month and said, "Here, sign this paper that says we met." Yeah, and he, and, he, and he, I love the man to death. Wonderful person, but he handed me a binder from his kids last year and said his kids a year before and said, "Hey, this is what I did," and he had been doing it for twenty five years. You they probably know? got a little
3: stipend for it too. Oh, I'm sure.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, we should.
3: We're, we we're approaching
1: better. the yeah we're, <laughs> we're, we're we're approaching the two hour mark. <laughs> so we should make sure that everybody goes out today is New Year's Eve. So well, not go out out, but go somewhere outside of this Break. Zoom Break. call. We definitely, we definitely, once everybody kind of gets going on semester two, will we'll get I, we got to get back together and talk about this temperament and disposition piece. I think that's so important, important, and mm-hmm. a little more about on the job training. So, will anything you want to end with anything final no. send off.
0: I just wanna say thank you both. Um, I I love talking to you both. Uh, The perspective that you bring, uh, it enhances me. And again, I took about two pages of notes uh, just on things that you've Mm -hmm. given me insight on. Um, And uh, you mentioned this the last time we talked and it's probably still my highlight that dysregulated adults, dysregulate kids. Um, And I think that will sit with me uh, because you see that evidence so many places, and and I think that we have to start looking at, like you say, that human capital and how we can make those individual investments to make our our, our organism as a whole better. You know, from you know I'm gonna say from pre-K to PhD, there should be a stream pipeline of consistency of how educators educate and help develop young minds, young humans. Um, And again, like I say, I'm not putting anything else on my plate, but that you've given me a lot to think about. And you know, I wish I would have talked to you maybe about three years ago, and I probably would have taken a different path in my dissertation. But (laughs) I I have to say that you you've really given a lot today, and I thank you. And I know our listeners will be able to go through this, and once we break it down into probably three or four episodes, yeah, uh, (laughs) that will be you know they'll be able to glean from it and 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 be able to conceptualize that big picture, you know, not just from, from prep to classroom, but also from, from pre-service teachers all the way through the process of what we're doing in our learning. And I think that's, that that's an invaluable resource you've provided for our listeners. So thank you both for taking your time and doing this with us.
3: We love talking to you. So thank you for having us.
1: Hey, fam. Uh, Thanks again for tuning in. We appreciate everything you do. Uh, One thing we would like to ask, if you're listening to this and you are a new-ish teacher, meaning first one to five years, we're looking to interview uh, that particular uh, career experience group for what we're doing in the podcast going forward. So if you are listening and you'd be willing to have a conversation with us about your experience and what you've learned on the job, please reach out hit us up on Instagram or Twitter, or find us on our website, theledproject.com, or send me an email at uh, kyle at theledproject.com. So like I said, we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jenna Mira. Hope it continues to open your eyes about what we need to do to develop ourselves and bring a new perspective. And we'll be back Friday with episode 300. Have a great week.